All right, well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be here. Uh, welcome you to Calvary Church again. My name is Eric Wakeling, one of the pastors here. Love for you to grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges, chapter 6. Grab the notes from your bulletins, pull those out. And uh, we're going to get right into this familiar and incredible passage of Scripture that we have for us today. Uh, a couple questions uh, for you to start thinking about as we get into this. I want to ask... How many of you, and this isn't a raise your hand thing, just a think about thing, but how many of you feel like you just, you have this sense that you want to do something for God? You want to be able to make an impact for the kingdom of God in some way, but you're just, you just don't feel like you have whatever those like gifts or abilities or talents or whatever it is that you think you might need to have to be able to do that. And you just sort of feel this desire though inside, I want to do something for God, but I don't feel good enough to be able to do it in whatever way that might be. And there's probably some of you even that think about a time in your past. You can remember a time in your past where you were serving God just wholeheartedly, full on, going for it. And, and you know, maybe that was a year ago, 5, 10, 20 years ago, whatever that might be. But you were serving God with all of your heart and just passionate. But maybe you've sort of gotten a little tired or you've gotten a little jaded, uh, you, you feel like, you know what, just let somebody else do all the work of all that, you know? And, 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 but you remember that time when you were fully all in, right? You were going for it. And there might be somebody that are kind of that boat even of just waiting and waiting for God to do something in your life. And you're kind of frustrated and tired of waiting for it. You know, we're, we're all coming into this morning with a lot of different, you know, different stages or even how should I approach God with, with wherever I'm at in all of that. And what is cool is that I believe that this passage of scripture that we will look at today in Judges 6 to 8 is going to speak a lot of truth and a lot of hope into those sorts of questions and those sorts of thoughts that, that we have in our life of how could God possibly use me? And we're looking at the story of Gideon, okay? Gideon, familiar story, kind of Sunday school story, you know, something that maybe you, you might not know anything about it, but you also could have like, man, I've studied this thing so much, like I get it, I got Gideon, you know, don't worry, just move on to the next one, right? But, but no, there's so much for us in it. I want us to look at the whole thing today. We're going to look at the whole story of Gideon, macro level, and, and I want us to be able to draw some kind of major thematic lessons for our lives, as well as I want this to be able to give you primarily a bigger view of God, that you would leave today with a bigger view of God and God as the hero of this story. And uh, one, one verse that I want us to look at first, that's a New Testament passage, Romans fifteen four. it says, for whatever was written in earlier times, okay, so hey, when they're talking about in the time of writing Romans, what was written earlier, you're talking Old Testament, okay, the Old Testament stories. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Okay, so as we look into this story of Gideon, maybe this familiar story, we remember that we believe that this story can give us hope, that this story will encourage us, and that as we persevere to have a life that, that makes a difference for God, that, that this story is something that can help, can help guide us and lead us there. And so what I want to do first, all, first of all here is, because it's just such a huge story, Judges 6 to 8, right? Three whole chapters here. I just want to tell an overview of the story, okay? A little bit 
just telling you about it. And it starts in Judges 6, 1, obviously there, where you've got the people of Israel have been being, they started sinning again, okay? The cycle of sin has continued. They've had, you know, they come out of it, they've had peace, and then they've turned from the Lord. And then they are just now being crushed and destroyed by the people of Midian and some of their allies. And I mean, it says that they are now hiding out in dens in the mountain and caves in the mountains. They've had to leave their homes. They are just barely living and surviving. It says like they would even try and just grow crops and have some sort of herds and flocks to eat. And they would just, the Midianites would come in and just destroy them all. So the Midianites were, their, their uh, troops and their camels were innumerable, okay? So they are just getting basically just worked over and destroyed by the people of Midian for seven years. And then they cry out to God. And then when they cry out to God, God doesn't send them a, a deliverer right away. God actually sends a prophet with a sermon for them, okay? And God says to them through this prophet, you have forgotten me. You have not obeyed me. You've forgotten everything I have done for you. And then after that, after that point, after he's kind of given them that message, and we'll dig into that a bit, but then the angel of the Lord, who is most, most scholars believe to be Jesus, okay, before he would have been born of Mary, is the pre-incarnate form of Christ as he appears on the earth to people, the angel of the Lord, comes and meets this guy Gideon under the oak at Ophrah, and he says to him, the Lord be with you, O valiant warrior. As Gideon is hiding in a wine press, basically hiding out, trying to thresh some wheat just to get a little bit of food. They've gotten some wheat to grow. Now they're trying to thresh it to get some of the seed to be able to actually have some bread to eat. And he's hiding out doing this. And then he's like, oh, valiant warrior. And then Gideon's like, wait, what? You know, are you talking to me? Kind of a look back. Like, is there some dude behind me with a sword or something? Because that's not me. I'm hiding out trying to get some food. And I'm actually, he says, I'm from the, the weakest clan, like the least clan. And I'm the youngest one in all of it. So he's basically saying, like, I'm the weakest of the weak. And you're calling me what? You know, a valiant warrior. And, and then God's like, you know what? I am with you. And when I am with you, then you're a valiant warrior. And I want to use you to deliver your people. And Gideon's still kind of like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't, you know, it's kind of his response. Like, I don't know about all this. And so Gideon, though, he, he makes a sacrifice to, to God. And the angel of the Lord touches the sacrifice with his staff and just lights on fire instantly and is all consumed. And then God asks for another sacrifice. And he does that. And then God wants him to go tear down the altar of Baal and Asherah. And Gideon is a little bit scared to do that, even though it's the angel of the Lord standing right there telling him to, right? But he's scared, and so he doesn't do it at day. It says he does it at night. And so he finally goes at night because he's scared, and he tears it down. And then everybody's mad at him about it that lives there. And then those people, when they're mad at him, uh, they want to come and attack him. And then some other people say, well, why don't you let your Baal God do it for you? And they're like, okay, fine. And then nothing happens, of course, right? And so then Gideon is still nervous. And so he does this whole thing where he lays out a fleece. Like, oh, God, should I do this? I don't know. Is this really God? And so he puts out a fleece, 
which we use as like a metaphor, but he actually, it actually was wool, okay? So he takes a wool fleece and he puts it out and says, God, will you please make the, dr- the ground dry around it, but the fleece wet in the morning? And in the morning, the ground's dry and the fleece is wet. And he's like, okay. But then he says, well, I don't know, maybe the ground could have dried out. I don't know what he's thinking, right? But he says, let me do it again. And so he puts the fleece out and says, will you make the fleece dry and the ground wet when I come in the morning? And he does. God does it. He's like, okay, I'm in. And he's still nervous, okay? He's still nervous to do all this. And then he finally goes and he overhears these guys. He kind of sneaks down. He overhears these enemy guys that have a dream. This dream that basically the enemy knows that they're going to get defeated by Gideon. And, uh, and then, so then he finally is like, all right, let's go. So he gathers a bunch of troops. They get 32,000 soldiers to be able to go and to fight against these innumerable forces of, of uh, the Midianites, right? And so he... Uh, he gets all these people, and God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Too many. Wait, what? Too many? What do you mean? We're supposed to have lots, right? Isn't that the whole deal? Like, we have a lot. They've got more, but we're still going to try. He's like, no, no, that's too many. Why don't you tell everybody that's scared to go home? So everybody that's scared bails. 22,000 of them were scared and bailed, okay? So then he's got 10,000 left. He's like, all right, let's do this. We've got 10,000. Okay, too many. God says, if you go with that many, they're going to think that it's their power, not mine, that accomplishes it. So he says, all right, I want you to make it even less. Go to this place called the Spring of Herod. And uh, it's this beautiful spring that it's like a, I've been there in Israel and it's like this beautiful park where kids play and stuff. It's awesome. And uh, there's a spring that comes out of the ground and this little creek that flows. And you can get down there and he says, have everybody go take a drink. And so they all go, they take a drink and some of them get down and just like slurp it right out with their mouth. And then some of them go like this. Okay, and they bring it up like that. Now, God says, all the ones that just slurped it, get rid of them. And that was 9,700 of them. So it's kind of a common way to do it. But, uh, so you've got 300 left. Okay, 300, like God's 300, right? Forget about the movie where they all lose. So this one is 300 of who God wants. And they go out and they've got horns and they've got torches and they've got pitchers, clay pitchers, right? Clay pots. And they go, and God tells them, like, sound the trumpet, light the torches, and it looks to the Midianites, because that would have been what the head of different companies were. The head of company would have blown a shofar trumpet, had a torch, that kind of a thing. And it looks to them like there's, like, masses of troops. And then the Spirit of God, though, makes the Midianites go crazy, and then they all just start killing each other. And then Gideon and his 300, they go and drive out the Midianites, and there's this huge battle, and they drive them out, and they push them out. There's all sorts of other crazy stories that happen in the midst of that, and they have victory. But then, one last little thing that happens at the end of this story is that Gideon then, after he's won, he asks everybody to get a bunch of gold and stuff, and he melts it, and he makes this ephod out of gold, which is like what the high priest would wear, that weird little sleestack stone thing that would go on the front of them. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but um, it's like, <laughs> um, it was this, this thing, and, and then they, they basically start to worship it. It says it, it becomes a snare to them, like an idol, and it says that Israel played the harlot with that ephod, and it's like, what? What? Why does this happen at the end? And then Gideon dies, and then they the cycle continues. They all start following the false gods. It's a crazy story, right? It's a pretty awesome story, but a crazy story at the same time. And I think that there's some really cool lessons 
that we can learn, that God can impact our lives today through that story of Gideon, that hopefully you have now a little bit more in your head of all the sort of the big, the big things that happen. But let's look into the smaller chunks of it now. And the first point that I want to make out of that beginning part is that repentance is required by God, not just regret. And if you look at verse 6, 7, this is where you see the part where they cry out to the Lord and God sends them this, uh, this prophet. And so verse uh, 7, it says, uh, It came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. They did not remember. They forgot about God. And you're starting to see the consequences, even as you remembered back when we looked at Judges 1 and 2, where you know, they were supposed to have driven all of the enemy out and all of these false gods and idols out of the land. But no, they didn't. And so they're becoming a thorn and a snare to them. And they're just getting destroyed by them. And as they're getting destroyed, God sends a prophet with a sermon before he sends a judge with salvation. And they're probably not super excited about that, is my guess, right? Uh, but sometimes I believe we need to learn and we need to hear the why or the reason something's happening, you know, before we just get what we want. And what's interesting is that there's something going on here that's different than what they, what they, it's different than what they think they need or what they want what they need to hear from God, this, this thing that they need to hear, and even what we need to hear at times, is that God cares more about us remembering Him and us following Him and obeying Him than He does just about us getting what we want or need, right? So we will have something in our lives where we pray for something. God, please heal me of this. Heal my family member of this. God, I need that job. God, I, I need that relationship to be, you know, brought back together. And sometimes there's something going on that's even deeper than that thing that you think you need or want that God is working inside of you, okay? That he's saying, let me get this. This is even more important, right? Your heart being connected to me that's more important than what you think you want or need. And so I want to work on that first, right? And, and sometimes we're so frustrated with the waiting and the time and all of the, like whatever that takes and that in-between part. But, but God's like, no, you need to hear this first. And regret is different than repentance too, you know? That regret is different than repentance. That 2 Corinthians 7.10, this interesting verse that says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. It's this whole thing where, it's this whole thing of like, are you really sorry? 
you know, or do you not, or do you just not want the consequences of what you've done? I think a lot of times, you know, we, we have these moments of life where we have a worldly sorrow, as it would say, the, the sorrow of the world. The sorrow of the world is a sorrow that doesn't want to have a consequence for something. But godly sorrow is a heart that is truly sorry and repentant and wants God more than anything else, right? God, forgive me. I really, like, I, I need you. I, I, I remember I had a party in uh, high school at my house when my parents left me alone for a week. Don't do that, parents. That's dumb, okay? But, um, but like, I was a junior in high school. I had this big party at my house. It got a little bit crazy. It got actually a lot crazy. I called the cops on my own party. Um, the house got messed up really bad. I wish I had, like, I could tell the story like a 25-minute version or the one minute that you're going to get here. But, you know, I had this, uh, this crazy thing, and the, the cops came. They kicked everybody out, but my house was thrashed. My dad's precious garden, vegetable garden in the back was trampled. And I remember all I cared about in that moment, you know, the next morning of seeing it all, all I cared about was not getting caught. All I cared about was not getting in trouble. That was goal number one. And so when my dad looked at his garden and he had a tear coming down his cheek and he said, I can't believe someone would do this. That's why I lied to his face and said, I know, I can't believe they did that. And and it's like unbelievable, right? And so that moment though, I wasn't sorry. I was sorry for, I didn't want the consequences. I didn't want to be in trouble, right? But what happens is when I was grounded in my room for six weeks after I got caught, because duh, we have neighbors, is like, <laughs> is the thing is, is while I was sitting in my room thinking about that for a while, is that God like worked in my heart to like realize you just, lied into the face of your father how could you do that like and I, I came to a point of being repentant right but initially we tend to be you know not want the consequences we we kind of shout like like little kids that will just be like sorry when they do something wrong you know you're like no, no no that's not sorry like you know you can't just like yell sorry at your sister it just doesn't work that way and that's just where it's either almost like religious ritual like going through the motions because they know they're supposed to do it is part of it and that's how we act as well but then there's also just this fearing consequence. And so regret is not what God wants. God wants a repentant heart. And that's what he wanted from his people here in this story in Judges 6. And that's what he wants from us. Now, then we go into this next segment. This next segment in Judges 6, 11 to 40 is where I would say to you that calling by God comes before qualifications. That calling by God is of higher order than our abilities or skills and all of that. What matters most is that we are called by God. And this is where that whole part where the angel of the Lord says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. He's like, I'm the weakest of the weak. What do you mean? And that's where he says, No, 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 no. I am with you. I have called you to do this thing. This thing of delivering your people from the Midianites that's too big for you? Yeah, you don't have the skill set to do it. You don't have the natural ability to do it. You're not strong enough or smart enough or good enough. But I am with you. I have called you to it. And that's what matters. And that's what's going to do it. He's this, what I call, weak, mighty warrior. And so I ask you, how does God see you compared to how you see yourself? How do you think about yourself? There's a few people that are overly arrogant and think they're pretty awesome, but I would say the majority of us are pretty 
pretty hard on ourselves and have pretty low views of ourselves. That we don't think we're good enough. We don't think we can make an impact for God's kingdom. And God says, you're right. (laughs) You're not good enough. But I'm with you. And I'm calling you to it. And that's what matters. There's this interesting little social experiment that took place. And it was, uh, it was in a mall. And they took people out of, the, out of the mall, just walking around the mall, random people. And they brought them into this back room. And they had makeup artists there, professional makeup artists, uh, kind of like Hollywood style. And they would put this, uh, this kind of really grotesque looking scar on their faces. And so that they'd be very disfigured looking. And then they'd bring a mirror and show the people, hey, this is what you look like. What we want you to do is go walk around the mall and just observe how do people treat you? How do people look at you? You know, what, what, do, what, do, you think, what do people think about you now that you have this on your face? And so then they took the mirror away and then they, were, they said, oh, wait, hold on, something got wrecked. And they went and they spent a couple minutes trying to fix it up. But really what they were doing was they removed the scar completely and they sent the people out into the mall. And the people walked around the mall with nothing on their face and all of them came back into the room, shared their observations, and said, people looked at me funny, people treated me differently, and everyone was staring at my scar. And, uh, you know, we are so preoccupied with our personal flaws. We are so preoccupied with our weaknesses that we sell short the ability that God has to work in us. Because, you know, what? most of those things, like, people don't notice that stuff about you, you know? It's stuff that's in your own head. It's stuff that you notice all the time. I've got things about my face. I've got this little, like, little sort of little teeny thing right here. And I'm just like, B, what do you think? Do, you, do people look at this all the time? <laughs> and she's like, wait, look at what? You know? And she sees me all the time. You know, like, it's like right there. It's huge. You know, I don't know. And it's like these things that we're so preoccupied by these weaknesses that we have, these flaws that we have. And it's no, duh, that's dumb, right? Like, and, and especially that when God wants to work with you in you, that stuff just doesn't matter at all. And so I kind of wonder what messages are there that are hard for you to believe about yourself, that God can work in you, that God wants to use you, that God has big, big Big plans for your life, for him. You believe it? Will you step out in faith and like step into that by faith? And I think maybe that's why he does the whole fleece thing twice and he still needs to like hear the dream and he's got all these things. He's just so preoccupied with his weakness that even though God is speaking to him directly in the flesh, I mean, and and the Bible, that is our audible voice of God today, okay? This is God's out loud voice. You want that in your life? It's right here. Read it, okay? This is the out loud voice of God. God speaks in all sorts of different ways as well. But man, it's right there. Like, obey that. Like, he had God standing right there talking to him, and he still doubted. We've got the Bible written right there for us, and we still doubt it, right? Well, that, 
that was coming there. But what I want you to think about doing is just repenting almost. Repenting to God of the way you see yourself. Because you're doubting that you are made in the image of God. You're doubting that you are a prince or a princess of the king of the universe. That has that authority, not from yourself, but from, from your father. To step into that authority that your father God has given you. That you can step into that and then that's how you have strength. That's how you make an impact. Is as you realize the authority and power that you have from God the Father to go out and make an impact for him. So repent of that self-doubt because it doesn't matter. It matters is that God has called you. And with God, we can win. We can overcome in our weakness. We are these overcomers in Christ. And that's what happens. And that's why, you know, God says, get rid of all the troops. Get rid of all of the 31,700 of them or whatever, right? Like just, you don't need all of those people. All you need is me. And go and be, like have that faith. Have faith that, that God's power overcomes those forces of, of evil. Gideon has that kind of faith. Gideon begins to finally have that kind of faith. It's a process. It might be a process for you. You're probably in the middle of that process now. But you know, you look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is that awesome chapter at the Hall of Faith. Like all these Old Testament heroes that did these amazing things. The, the Daniels, the Davids, the, you know, all, all of these amazing things. And in that, it even talks in there about... Um, the, the people from the book of Judges. Uh, Hebrews eleven thirty two says, What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, who we looked at last week, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms. By faith performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong. Gideon, right? From weakness were made strong. Became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. By faith. By faith. Not by their power, not by their skills, not by their abilities, but by faith in the power of God. They obeyed. They obeyed what God had called them to do. And I'd say this is the kind of obedience that doesn't make sense in our human terms, right? It doesn't make sense to our, like, our ways of thinking. Wait, I've got 32,000. Why would I ever get rid of all of them except for 300? Like, when we're strategizing and coming up with our plans, that would not be part of it, right? <laughs> when you're thinking through, how should we do this? we got great ideas. You know, let's brainstorm. How about get rid of them all? You know, wait, no, what? Like, that just doesn't... That's not how we think. But there's an obedience that doesn't make sense in our human terms when we have faith in God. And I can't help but tell the story of David and Rachel Snyder and their family. Uh, it's funny, I don't I'm like getting emotional about it. <laughs> Just because I think it's awesome, you know? Um, but I think you're crazy. <laughs> and that's, what I, that's why it's this point, because this is obedience that doesn't make sense in human terms. Let me tell you about it. Um, that they, they've gone to this ranch in Utah and had a sense from God, and starting maybe a little more even with Rachel, of we are called 
to go here to this tiny town with hardly any people who are all Mormons. But we are called to go, not just go talk to them about Jesus, but go move there and live there and minister to them and serve this community. And he's got a great job, great church, <laughs> great family, <laughs> uh, but super involved here in our school and our church and great friends, just an awesome sit, like community system around them and uh, really making a huge impact for the kingdom of God, I'd say here and through the, like, through the blessings that God has given them, but have a, had a great sense of calling from God to go to this little town and even have to be like farming and stuff, like subsistent farmers to like survive in this place. And this doesn't make sense in human terms, right? And, but here's the thing is that even they have said, and they've even had some experience in, and kind of just really like a great trust in God. If like David even was a huge influence on helping us in this last year as we searched for a new head of our school, that this process would be about us trusting God and leaning into him and not just looking at everything on paper. And I believe that God led us through that process. And I think that David led us to trust in God more in it. And he's had experiences where with his job, where he felt like he wanted to leave his job to go to another one, but said, okay, God, if these two things happen that were pretty much impossible, I'll stay. Comes to work the next day, nothing, like, nothing, uh, shouldn't, he didn't ask about those things, but then they come to him and say, hey, these two things, we're going to do that. And he's just like, okay, (laughs) you know, I'm in, God. And so within this process, trying to think about it, they decided to kind of put out a fleece, per se. And Rachel's had migraine headaches for the last three years. And it had maybe two days without a migraine headache over three years. And, and uh, David said, well, God, if you would take away Rachel's migraines, I'm in. And uh, a couple days go by, no migraines right away after that. And he's like, well, <laughs> he told me, like, don't, you know, a little Gideon-like, right? You know, well, what about like a month, maybe, <laughs> of no migraines? No migraines. And a week went by, and they started making plans. And a month went by, and they're in. They're moving to Utah, you guys. And it's incredible. It's an amazing story. I mean, sad to see him go, but so excited for them to follow God's leading in their lives. And it's this thing of how would we not do that, right? How would we not? By faith. By faith, people do these sorts of things to follow God in ways that might not initially make sense to us if you just line it all out on paper or something. But when God has called you to do something, you do it. By faith, you go. And so proud of them for that. It's interesting even to to think about how then do we live our lives? How do we say to God, like, God, I, I know whatever's in your scripture, that comes first, Right? And then as I, I want to trust you, maybe I've done something like this fleece thing, but what matters is what God has called us to. And we're all called by God to be ambassadors of reconciliation, right? To share Christ with the world. That's what we are called to be about. But, you know, Gideon got this very specific call and he just goes for it, even though he was super weak and super afraid and he had to work through it. But he goes for it, not because it's his plan, because it's God's plan. And it's interesting to see the way that God works even in different people's life. Another one like that where you think about God's calling comes before qualifications. 
uh, is Matt Hemphill, who's one of the pastors over at Prodigal Church, which just started a few weeks ago. You know, when we were at Calvary Church wanting to plant churches, right? We're like, we had this heart. We, we want to see God plant churches through us. And I remember one, one meeting, we're praying and we're talking through, like, who would be like, some people that we could see be church planters from our community? And we're praying and talking about that. And there's like a big list of names. Maybe some of your names are on that. You're going to get a call soon. No, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, there was like a lot of names. And I, I don't know why, but at the end of that meeting, I, I mean, I know why. It's the Spirit of God, I believe. But like at the end of that meeting, and, and during that meeting, but mostly at the end of it, I remember walking back to my office and I just was like, I was stirred. Like something was happening and I just felt like Matt Hemphill's name was just like stirring in my heart. And I remember I just like, I, I was kind of fighting it like, no, no. I mean, we talked about Matt, but he's never been to seminary. He's never worked at the church. He's been an awesome volunteer. He's like got a great business job. Like why would he want to do something like this? You know, no, he doesn't sort of fit the profile. And, uh, and then I just was like, ah, fine. And so I, I called them and I said, Matt, let's, let's have lunch in a couple of days. So we did. We got together, and I sat across the table from him, and I said, Matt, I don't know. I just, I think God wants you to plant a church. <laughs> and, and he starts shaking. He was, like, visibly shaking. And he's like, Eric, I'm freaking out, you know? I'm freaking out because I've been trying to figure out, God, I feel like you're calling me to something. I feel like you've given me this entrepreneurial sort of business side of things, but you've also gifted me in these ministry ways, and, and I've, been try- I've been wrestling with what should I do? Should I leave the business world? Should I, should I um, you know, go into ministry thing, or should I stay totally committed to business? And he's like, man, maybe this is God kind of bringing all of that together, my entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, and ministry. And it's so, it's like, it's crazy to see how, like, God was working in him and him even coming into my office a couple more times and just being like, you know, Eric, I don't, I don't think I should do this. <laughs> you know, I, 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 don't, I haven't been to school yet. I haven't done, you know, all these things that you're supposed to do before you are a pastor. But then came to the point that God's calling came before his qualifications, you know, and that by faith you follow with what God has called you to do. And it's so awesome to see him now as a pastor on staff at, at Prodigal Church, and they're going for it, right? They're meeting this morning. And so anyway, just all that to say, like, maybe God is calling you to something in your life. If that's something he's given you, if that's something he's blessed you with, if that's something that you'd love to do, or if that's even like a material possession, like your car or your house or your job or some ability that you have, whatever it might be, like, how is that like being able to give that over to be used by God, but then to even see him use you beyond what you're actually naturally able to do, to by faith go for it. Because triumph in weakness, you guys, triumph in weakness is the story of Jesus. Jesus has the ultimate victory through such a ridiculous method in our human terms. I'm going to solve the problem of sin by willingly dying. You know, that doesn't make sense, right? That doesn't make sense that Jesus, God himself, would come and live in human form. And when we think about how we would think God would have the victory, for him just to willingly be killed, to take that, you know, upon himself. That doesn't make sense in our normal human terms. But in the way, in God's terms, it does. And we know that though he had great victory through the resurrection that God is alive, that he took that sin upon himself when he died and he had victory over sin and death when he was resurrected and came back to life, that we have 
power through Jesus. And that is why God is the hero of this story, not Gideon. That's why God is the hero of the Snyder story, not themselves. That's why God is the hero of Matt Hemphill's story. And that's why God is the hero of your story. God is the hero. God will do it. You will not. You will fail. You will doubt. You will struggle. You will even want to give up. But God is the hero. Trust in him. By faith, we can win despite our weaknesses. But then one final warning as we get close to wrapping it up here. From that end section is where you see compromise can come after comfort. We see that Gideon made all that gold and all that that he gathered into an ephod and placed it in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there so that it became a snare to Gideon and his household. It's this kind of tragic ending of this, you know, really amazing story. And then it just has this tragedy at the end, I think, of seeing him do this, this thing where, you know, it even talked about in Judges 2 about how their idols would become a thorn and a snare. And I remember that, like the idols would become a thorn and a snare to them. And that now this has become this ephod, this thing that he makes where it's like, ah, why'd you do that? You know, I think sometimes we get comfortable, right? We get, we've achieved something, maybe we've seen God work in some way in our lives, maybe we haven't achieved it, we even see God work. And we kind of just start to like think, all right, I'm done. I did that one thing for God that one time, right? It's easy to kind of think like, all right, I'm just going to sit back and be comfortable. I'm going to let other people do the work. I'm going to let other people do all of this. But that ephod thing for him became a snare as he was comfortable. And, you know, we, we have things in our life, maybe they're minor, they seem minor, but the enemy is kind of using them to distract us from God. That we're distracted from what God is really doing and really having a life that is fully, fully on mission for God. And, and the thing is, is that there's a little quote that says, there is no unemployment or retirement in the kingdom of God, okay? There's no unemployment and no retirement in the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how like sort of tired you are, okay? There's different seasons of where we have different focuses in our life, but there is no unemployment or retirement in your walk with God. That we are to be on mission, to have a life that is going for it, on mission for God, in the battle. It's easy in the midst of the war, you know, this passage to you with all the war and battle to think, yeah, I got to do this. I got to be focused. I got to go for it for God. You know, the Snyders, they're in this mission right now. They're going for it. They've got just laser focus. But maybe you're sitting there thinking like, I don't know, I'm just trying to get through this week and maybe I'll come back next Sunday. Maybe not. You know, and, and you got to think about how can my life be on mission for God in every moment to think, yeah, I might not be in some sort of real war battle, but there is a spiritual war for the souls of all the people on this earth. And God has called you to have a role in that battle. Uh, you have a role in this story. You have a mission. You have a job to do. What is God calling you to do? And you might not feel qualified to do it. But if you don't live on mission, then you're going to get comfortable and you're going to compromise. Don't compromise. Don't get comfortable. Don't sit still. We have to live lives 
for God, reminding ourselves, what is my mission today? What is my mission this year? What, what is my life going to be about for the furtherance of the gospel? And how will my life show the love of God to this world? And so I want to ask you here today, what is God calling you to? What is God calling you to today? You have a life that God has given you. You're made in the image of God. You are a prince or princess from the almighty king of the universe. How will you step into that power and authority that comes from him to live a life for him? Man, we got to see people come to know Jesus through us. We got to see it. We got to see this happen in our community. That we would have people that, that even are, are now part of our family here because we have obeyed God and by faith gone out and lived a life on mission for him. I hope that this is inspiring and not guilt-inducing because by faith we can do amazing, mighty things and we have hope and encouragement from these stories, as it said in Romans fifteen four, to go out and go for it. So as we worship and as we sing, I want to encourage you to be praying through that. What does God have for you to do with your life? And maybe you're sitting there and you don't know anything about God and you're like, wow, I don't know what this dude's talking about. But that whole part where he talked about Jesus, who could, you know, forgive me of my sins, who would wash me clean, that would bring me into the family of God to be part of that. Well, he, he wants you to, to repent, to say sorry. He's calling you to himself. You don't have to do it right. You don't. He's going to do it right. He's going to forgive you. But you need to receive that gift that he's offering, that gift. So I want to call you today that as we worship, as we sing, I'm going to be over there at that prayer point. There'll be folks at the prayer points. We'd love to pray with you, to come. Let me pray with you to receive Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, as your forgiver, your deliverer. We're going to worship. We've got the stations. You can give your offering in the buckets. You can take communion to remember the work that Christ did on the cross, that his body was given over willingly by him. As you eat the bread, you remember that. As you drink from the cup, you remember that his blood was shed for you, for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love, for your, your grace upon us. But God, I also thank you for the way that you are calling each one of us out to live a life that is on mission for you. And that, Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us faith. God, faith to live a life that serves you in a way that really impacts our world for you. I pray that we would see people become part of your family, God. Because of that. Because we are living our life on mission for you. I pray that when we doubt, I pray that when we're scared, we'd remember people like Gideon who are scared too. I pray that we'd remember them and look back and be encouraged. I pray, Lord, for those that are in this room today that don't know you, that you would give them the courage right now to get up out of their seat and walk over and to pray to receive you as Lord and Savior. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.